1: It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, it is the Mike Missanelli Podcast, and we are at episode 22 already. We're recording this on Thursday, November 10th. Uh, we're going to be joined a little later in this podcast by Jim Salisbury as we put a cap on the Philly season and then look ahead to what's up and also a reminder that this uh, podcast is brought to us by the great people at Bett Rivers. If you haven't downloaded the Bett Rivers app, do it now. Uh, you'll thank me later. It's a very convenient app. You can make your bets for the weekend, which I'm going to do a little bit later in this show. And uh, it's live bets and prop bets and all the stuff. And you'll, you'll find uh, a really good appetite for any of your sports betting needs. Or if you want to play casino games, you can do that too on the Bet Rivers app. All right, here's the deal um, we're not going to look behind anymore. Let's look ahead. The Phillies this week have shaved a lot of money off their payroll. Segura, oh, that saves them 17 mil. Syndergaard, 21 million. He made 21 million dollars last year. That 21's gone. Eflin for 15, Gibson. Nice contribution. 5, five mil you're gone. It's Corey Knebel. That was also a, a nice uh uh output uh, by a 10 million dollar guy. He's he's off the books. Uh Mr. Hand, uh, there will be no eating in class. E A T I N G. Brad Hand is going at $6 million and, and uh, Robertson at 5.1. That's $80 million off the payroll. Now, considering they were over the threshold last year, they're not saving that kind of money. But uh, if you want to stay under the threshold, uh, you have about $60 million to spend. Uh, so let's look at it because the no brainer here if Mike Misnelli is running a team, and Mike Misnelli should be running a team somewhere in Major League Baseball, but he's not. But if he was, this is a no-brain decision. You sign Trey Turner to be the shortstop. You move Bryson Stott over to second base for a couple of reasons. Number one, Trey Turner is a damn good player, one of the better players in the league. In fact, he's Bryce Harper's favorite player. They're, they're good buddies. And uh, B, I don't think Stott is the major league shortstop. He, he, listen, you can use him there. You can get away with it. Uh, I, I don't think that he, is one of the, uh, he, he would be one of the great defensive shortstops in, in the league. So to move him to second base makes a lot of sense. So the Trey Turner thing is going to cost you $35 million. If you have $60 million to spend, it leaves you $25 million. However, uh, two of the names being dropped, one being Trey Turner, the other Carlos a left-handed pitcher from the Giants, who would fit nicely uh, in this rotation as another left-hander would be their third starter with Suarez moving to four. And if you go into the postseason, you will not have to worry about the Syndergaard-Gibson uh, uh, bullpen Finishing a game in postseason, especially the World Series, which I think trapped the Phillies a little bit. So there you go. You got Turner, $35 million. Carlos Rodon will cost you $30 million at least and maybe even more. So what this is going to have to depend on is that John Middleton is going to be willing to go over the threshold again. Now, he did it last year at the urging of Dave Dombrowski because there was a lot of lobbying to sign Castellanos. They we're going to push him over. Bryce Harper was on board with it. A lot of Phillies were on board with it. Dombrowski was on board with it. He convinced the owner to go on board with it. I don't know why if you could do it one year, you wouldn't be able to do it another year, which makes total sense to sign two of these guys and risk going over the threshold again. Because here's the bottom line. The Phillies have now set a standard. The Phillies are in a World Series last year. There's now pressure for them to close the deal. The easiest way to close the deal is to maximize your chances to close the deal And to maximize your chances, you add two caliber players like that, that pretty much maximizes your chances to win a World Series. I don't think Middleton can turn away from a a, a situation like that where he maximizes it and there's a World Series that's dangled. So we will see what happens. Now, obviously, they are short in the bullpen. They have four guys you can rely on right now. Four guys that cost them about $6.8 million. Dominguez, Alvarado, Brogdon, Bilotti. Now, Brogdon, Bilotti, again, you got to cross your fingers. They both came on at the end of last year. Uh, I don't know if you can round that off and say, that okay, we're good there. But at least you have four guys that you can count on. You're going to need four more. So you're going to have to sign probably four relief pitchers. Now, they did sign a couple of guys from other teams this week. Uh, I don't know how they figure in the plans. Uh, But I would think – that you're going to have to spend maybe 10 more million on the rest of the pen, which pushes you uh, like about $10, $15 million over the luxury tax threshold. Because you're still, your bench is intact. I don't know how many guys you would have to get for the bench. You got your Veerling, your Stubbs, your Sosa, uh, Mayton. you got Derek Hall, who may make the team. He may even be a starter if you trade Hoskins. So the Phillies are in damn good shape. And if they sign both, because I'm not settling for one, I, I got stars in my eyes now. If, if you sign both Trey Turner and Carlos Rodon, and here's the connection with Rodon. There's always a connection, and they always help. Relationship connections always help. So you got the Harper-Trey Turner connection, but you also have the Rodone trey Turner connection. They were roommates at NC State on the NC State baseball team. Their wives are really tight. They hang out. I'm sure that Turner is going to lobby Radon to come to Philadelphia, even if he takes a little less money than he would get somewhere else. The Turner goes, dude, you take $30 million here. Somebody else is going to pay you 33000000 million. You're with friends. You, you slide in real nice. You got a chance to win a championship. You go somewhere else. Are you going to be guaranteed to be a World Series team? Well, this team is. So let's roll. So that's the way I see it going down. And I hope it really goes down that way again 230 million dollars is the luxury tax threshold they have about 60 million to spend to stay under that but he did it last year he went over why wouldn't he go over again let me bring darren in producer the voice in the wilderness darren what do you think of that premise
3: well i think we said all along that turner would be their top target that harper's been on them for pretty much uh, the better part of the last year, knowing that he'd be a free agent. Here's why I think that Middleton will spend. I don't think he's going to give um, Dombrowski <gasps> any pushback um, for going over the tax again. The first thing he said to, to to Harper after the NLCS was, I think I underpaid you. Like, he's not; he's clearly not afraid to spend money. He's clearly not afraid to go over the tax. Winning, it's great to see. It really is. It's great to see an owner throw caution to the wind when it comes with, with finances to win. Win first. He's got plenty of money to do it. I don't think finance money will, will, will stop them from doing anything this offseason. It's like, you know, you got to taste of that blood a little bit, right? Now, it's, a, it's like a bear. When he first gets a taste of human blood, he becomes rabid, and that's all he wants from now on. And that's what I think Middleton has right now. Um, and I don't how, I think they're going to have any problem spending that money. I think I, I absolutely think they're going to sign Turner. And you make a good point about Rodon. Like guys will do that. Guys will take a little less money. To 30 play million. With to do 30 million is not happy.
0: chicken liver. You know what I'm saying? You still get 30 mil out of the deal. You're with a team who can win a World Series.
3: Right. Exactly. It's not, you know, when you get to those numbers and certain athletes have said this in the past, what's the difference Really, between thirty million a year and thirty-six million a year, there really isn't. Particularly when you, you factor in taxes and everything else. So, uh, all
0: right. You know, I think of John Middleton. I think of my own life, and I think, why couldn't my dad have bought a cigar factory and and built it into some big business, and then sold it for a zillion dollars, and then passed it on to his children, where I would own the Philadelphia Phillies. I smoke cigars. My uncle Bob smoked cigars all the time. And my dad wasn't a smoker. He probably never even thought about buying a cigar factory. But just think of how my life would have changed had he actually bought a cigar factory. He didn't. He didn't have the money to buy a cigar factory. My dad started out humble beginnings. He was a TV repairman. He wound up putting antennas on roofs. And it wasn't until later in his life where he got a good job where he was working for RCA. But he never had the scratch to buy a cigar company. And look at me. I'm doing a podcast now with you. I could be owning the Phillies, signing checks for Trey Turner and Carlos Rodone.
1: It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the bet Rivers Network.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a special guest on the Mike Missanelli Podcast today. He's the longtime baseball reporter. has spent more than uh, 13 years covering the Phillies for the, the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's moved on to... Breaking scoops with NBC Sports Philadelphia. He is the great Jim Salisbury joining us. Hello, Jim.
2: How are you doing today? Doing well, Mike. How are you doing? I'm um, doing okay.
0: Gonna getting another beautiful day today, especially uh, out the, where your way, where you're talking in, in, in the big country setting uh, out, out there where you live. I'm uh,
2: so the leaves, here, here, leaves today.
0: <laughs> so, so here's what uh, I would like to do with you. I would like to look ahead. Because we know what happened, uh, and we don't have to rehash. But And then I'll kind of go back a little bit. But um, let's look ahead right now where the Phillies are after this uh, World Series year, which was totally unexpected. And we'll get into that in a second. So right now, they've shaved some money off the payroll. They they got uh, Segura's number off, Syndergaard, Eflin, although he might come back, Gibson, Canable hand Robertson that's about eighty million if my math is right, I stunk at math um, that is a figure that was over the threshold last year so so theoretically they have about sixty million to spend to stay under that threshold and, and I'm curious to know what is the best way they can spend that sixty million
2: the best way to spend that sixty million is to try to win a World Series title. <laughs> I mean, that's what the stakes are for this franchise. When you go out and you sign a Bryce Harper three or four years ago, you're signing him for one reason, to win a World Series at some point in his 13-year contract, preferably sooner rather than later. When you bring in a Real, bring back a Real Mudo, sign a Wheeler, sign a Schwarber and a Castellanos to big money deals, Um, you're in it to win a World Series. They came up short this year. They need to keep trying to win a World Series. They need to plug holes. They are a team that plays for big talent, big money talent. Uh, I think they have a need in the starting rotation. I think they have a need in the lineup. I also think when you look at uh, at their lineup, there's some inflexibility there, but they have room in the middle infield. And there are several really good free agent shortstops out there um, that would lengthen that lineup and uh, offensive-minded shortstops. And there's some quality starting pitching. I think you need to play for both of them, and uh, both will be expensive. Uh, Maybe settling for one, but I think you need to be in it for a pitcher like Collars Rondon. I think you need to be in it for a shortstop like Trey Turner, like Sandra Bogarts like Dansby Swanson, and I fully expect them to be in it for that level of talent because the stakes are so high. Huge payroll, huge expectations, big market, and ownership that, you know, John Middleton wants to get his bleeping trophy back, and that's not BS. He wants to win a World Series, and he came within two games of doing it this year. Um, I know it was improbable. Uh, but that set a, a high bar for them to continue to reach for. And um, the, the way you're going to do that and win a World Series is to keep bringing in top talent and augmenting it with, with homegrown talent. You have some young pitching coming. Uh, but I think it could be an interesting winter, much like the winter of Bryce Harper and the winter of Real Muto and the winter of Wheeler. And last winter with Schwarber and Castellanos, I think they're going to play in the deep end of the free agent market.
0: You know, what's really funny about the, this is that the expectations in the fan base will be exactly that. Now, this year, um, you, you know, they were wide-eyed, the fan base. They were kind of like just going along for the ride. It was kind of unexpected. They allowed for error and and uh, uh, not completing the job. It was like gravy on beef to them. But mm-hmm. you're right. Next year... Is the year that they're going to expect them to win something? So let's let's delve deep into that. On to me, the no-brainer, and I know you've dropped uh, both of these names in one of your recent stories, NBC Sports Philly website. The No-brainer is to sign Trey Turner because it makes so much sense in so many different ways, and move Stott to second base as Segura is gone. Uh, that's going to cost them probably thirty-five mil, I would guess, in ABA right. And then uh, Rodon is a really classic uh, case because you could use both of them. Last year, they weren't afraid to go over the threshold when they signed Castellanos. Why would they be afraid to go over it this year? And the both of those guys make sense to John Middleton.
2: Well, I don't think they're afraid to go over it, uh, Mike. They proved that last year. And John Middleton is on record as saying he's not going to go over the luxury tax to finish, and you know, as an also ran. But if the opportunity is such that you know, going over the luxury tax is going to help this team win a championship and have a parade, then he's going to do it. And he did it last year. I expect him to do it again next year. Um, this great World Series run that they just concluded on Saturday only wet everybody's appetite uh, and created more anticipation to get back there.
0: So you do think it is? See, that would cost. What's Rodon's number right now? What do you think?
2: He, I don't know that they can. I don't know that they would do both guys. Uh, I don't know that they, you know, because there's going to be other teams trying to add those players as well. Um, I mean, you look at off seasons. How many times does a team add the top pitcher and the top position player on the market? Very seldom. But I think it would be a great winter if you could get one of them. Um, I'm sure they're going to pursue both and see what it's going to take. I, I everything I hear about Rondone is he's probably a $25 million a year guy. Uh man, he is a
0: at, at I mean, least 25 mil.
2: Yeah, and then Trey Turner, you know, $30 million guy and and Bryce Harper has an AAV of 25 million. Do you want to bring in a guy with a greater AAV than Bryce Harper? You know, I don't know. I think Harper would be fine with it. He wants to win a title. He loves Trey Turner. Um I just think these two moves make so much sense. And again, I wouldn't expect them to do both of them. I just think it's un- unrealistic in, in the climate of baseball today to get both the top guys. Uh, but I think where the Phillies are and what they came off last year and the excitement they created and the, um, the money they have freed up, they can certainly do one of them. And uh, either one would help immensely. They, I think they need pitching and I think they need to lengthen their lineup. Uh, and Trey Turner, a leadoff guy, contact guy, great hitter, can steal bases, play defense, energy, winner, exciting, checks all the boxes. Um, Noah and, you know, Nola's going to pitch like at, what, 30 next year, and Wheeler's going to turn 33. Uh, they have Suarez. They could still use more pitching. I, I think the example there is the, the Astros. I mean, good pitching stops good hitting. Uh, the Astros just totally locked up the Phillies those last three games with their pitching. So if the Phillies – decided to move forward and and uh, build a stronger pitching staff, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, but I also think Trey Turner makes a ton of sense, and I think they're going to investigate both avenues, um, you know, and, and see where they can go and who they can get. And there are other pitchers out there. I mean, Chris Bassett from the Mets, I love that guy. Pitches with a lot of edge. I think he'd, he'd help you. Um, Tyler Anderson, you know, left-hander they almost traded for as a free agent, might be a, a guy to peek in on and, and see what you can get. But they – they need to build, they need a stronger lineup in terms of just getting some pure hitters in there, some contact and uh, Turner would be that guy. Bogarts would be that guy. His history with Dave Dave, uh, Dombrowski. I mean, it's just kind of lines up nicely that uh, it's a really strong free agent class at shortstop and you have a ton of flexibility in your middle infield. You can keep Stott at shortstop or you can move him to second base and, and get a shortstop. So, uh, a lot of things I think line up well for this team this winter in, in terms of their needs coupled with the fact they've freed up a bunch of money and they have a history of of spending money to try to win a championship.
0: Here's what lines up really well. The Turner Harper, see Harper's management says I want Trey Turner. John Middleton's going to get Trey Turner. <laughs> <And> now <laughs> Trey Turner also has his connection with Rodon. And right. and that is they were college roommates and their friends and their wives are friends and, so to me, when you have players lobbying like that and management goes, yeah, you know what, that would be nice. And we can do it if they're willing to do it. And Rodham might be willing to do that because of the Trey Turner connection. And uh, of course, Trey's going to want to do that because of the Bryce Harper connection. It it's almost seems too
2: perfect. <laughs> it's, it's almost NBA-ish. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. It's, you, see, you kind of see guys in the NBA uh, coming up with those behind-the-scenes plans I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know what Rondon, Rondon, and Turner could um, come up with together, and maybe pitch it to the Phillies. But um, you got elite talent wanting to pitch for your play for your ball club. Uh, you got to think about it. And I know you know Dombrowski and his guys are creative, and I know John Middleton is really committed to winning a World Series. He is. I mean, he is really committed to making this happen.
0: Can John Middleton actually not – like, here, here we go. That, here's the staff. It's Wheeler, Nola, Rodon, Suarez. That would not give you any problems in postseason like they had last year. They wouldn't have to have the Gibson-Cinder guard plus bullpen to, to salvage and survive a game.
2: Right. No, you're looking at – you know, as long as everybody stays healthy and fresh. I mean, we did see Wheeler and Nola get fatigued down the stretch. NOLA has pitched more innings than anyone in baseball since 2018. Um, you know, those are things you really have to keep an eye on. But on paper, that is a hell of a staff. And, see, when, when, if, if, if you make a commitment to, to Rondon and, and you have to take into to effect, much like Wheeler early in his career, he's had trouble staying healthy. Wheeler has come here and stayed healthy um, for the most part. So you have to consider the the health factor there with, with Rondon, but he put up a great season in San Francisco, stayed on the mound, really delivered. Um, if you were to make a commitment to him, I think you have to look long range as well. Nola could potentially be coming off the books a year from now. Wheeler could be potentially coming off the books two years from now. Um, so, you know, I think that all fits into how you budget for a guy if he's a guy you want to move forward with. So, And they're going to be adding um, pitching from their system. And, I mean, all indications are Andrew Painter is here sometime next year. Griff McGarry is here sometime next year. Mick Gable, you know, maybe down the road a year after that. So it, they're finally looking like they're going to bring some homegrown pitching to the major leagues, um, cost-efficient um, quality pitching, uh, they stay healthy, they deliver, you got something there. So I think you have to balance, you know, what your future payroll commitments are with what you might spend um, this winter. But certainly with $30 million coming off the books just in the middle infield, um, I think you can consider a top shortstop in a Turner, a Bogarts, a Swanson. And, you know, I keep coming back to Turner because I've long said this, he's my favorite player in the league. I absolutely love watching that kid play.
0: And so does Bryce Harper, by the way, said the same thing about him. Uh, all right, so just quickly now, um, I, I see four relievers that I go, okay, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with. Uh, Dominguez Alvarez, obviously, or Alvarado. Uh, Brogdon came on, so Ooh. I'm going to throw him in. And you know, Pilati, I don't know about, but I think they feel a little more secure. That, that means they would need four more, which you know they're going to have to spend for that as well. Um, is that easy to get,
2: four more? Uh, Easy to get, but maybe not – you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, is it easy to get quality? I mean, sometimes relievers are so mercurial, they're up and down, you take a shot at a guy, he has a great year for you. Like Bilotti, had a very, very good year. He was a non-roster guy they got, and uh, he throws that slider, he's tough on righties, nice find. Got to use him in the right role, but a nice find. Um, They'll they'll, they'll bring in relievers, and they'll swap them out like all teams do, and you just hope to kind of hit on something there. But I I agree – Those four guys will be back. I mean, I think despite the ugly ending of the World Series, Alvarado found something this year. Uh, Sir Anthony will be another year away from surgery. Uh, Brogdon has a tremendous arm, uh, confidence issues. But if his confidence didn't grow with his performance in the postseason, I don't know when it ever will. He might be ready to take another step. And I'm sure they'll bring in other guys. They need to bring in other guys. And, you know, They have some guys in the minor leagues that are going to be here next year. Um, You know, Francisco Morales needs to make a step and be here and be a contributor or, you know, it's kind of like uh, if it's going to happen, it needs to happen soon. And there's another guy they really like. Kid throws 101 by the name of Andrew Baker. I expect to see him here sometime next year. And, you know, if they can make the step and become comfortable in the majors, believe in themselves, have confidence, throw strikes – harness their stuff, you might have something. If they're going to walk the ballpark, you're not going to have something. So um, there are areas they really need to address, and, you know, they need to they need to hope this little blip Zach Wheeler had at the end is indeed just a little blip, and that he's yeah. still going to be Zach Wheeler, that the guy we saw in the game six. Um, they need to hope that, you know, Aaron Nuller, um comes back ready to go after showing signs of fatigue late in the season. So a lot of things still have to go right. They have to hope Castellanos has that year out of his system and he's ready to be the hitter he used to be. Boehm um, you know, I thought, was much improved. I, you know, I think he's there's a lot to like there. Um, Hoskins, if you ask me about Hoskins, I would probably tell you right now, I expect to see him back, though I think they would be open to trading him. I just don't know what you're going to get for him a year away from free agency with some of the holes in his game. So – uh, it'll be a fascinating winter.
0: I agree that Hoskins will probably be back, but it, but if they are able to make a deal, um, I, I don't know how much belief do they have in Derek Hall being an, e- an everyday player.
2: Um, I don't know. Um, certainly, uh, he 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 can hit the long ball. I, I don't know what it would translate to as a full time big leaguer. Uh, I don't know that he's any better defensively, and. Um, but I, I think there's, you know, he was a – look, you look at the marg- the contributions they got at the margins this year from some of their young guys. I mean, they lost one of the top left-handed power hitters in the game for two months, and this kid hit nine home runs. Uh, he did a really heck of a job, Derek Hall did for them. Um, but if they were to move Hoskins, um, at that point I think you consider moving Baum across the diamond and uh, maybe having – more flexibility with stott He could go to the third base or second base if you got a shortstop. Or you go out and find a you find another first baseman. Or you give Derek Hall a shot. Um a I, I don't know which the way they would go. I think a lot of it depends on how much you can lengthen that lineup and add another bat.
0: There's um, a but, connection with Rizzo and Schwarber too,
2: right? Uh I guess there is with the Cubs, right? Yeah. Uh, Again didn't they play together in college also? Rizzo and Schwarber? No, Rizzo and they were oh. Cubs. They were Cubs world okay. champions. Okay. Yeah, Rizzo was um, – uh Schwarber playing at Indiana. I think Rizzo yeah. came out of high school. So, okay. But, I mean, they were teammates with the Cubs, and Rizzo's yeah, I mean, hey, um, it all depends on what these price tags are going to be. Uh, but I guarantee you, if we're talking about it, they've thought about it all.
0: Yeah, I, I got you. All right. Uh, is the bench good enough, the Veerling, Sosa, Stubbs, uh, Maton, or whoever – uh, would would they like to add a little sock?
2: Well, you don't pinch hit as much as you used to um, now that the DH is here. Um, you know, they, they. Sosa is a tremendous bench player. Uh, he can really pick it, as I'm sure you saw. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy to have on your bench. That was a tremendous move uh, that paid dividends this year and will continue to next year. Uh, a year ago at this time, at the GM meetings, Dave Dombrowski said he wanted to upgrade the backup catcher's position, and I think they did an outstanding job doing that with Stubbs. Um, you know, he was a he was a he played really well for them when called upon. So I think those two spots are are, are in good shape. Uh, Verling certainly had his moments. He's got some versatility. I could see them making tweaks on the bench, but um, if we're worried about whether their bench can help them win a world series (laughs) yeah you know it's okay then right
0: yeah i I got you uh we're talking to jim Salisbury, of course covering the phillies um for many years and now with the nbc sports philly jim just quickly to go back and uh address uh, the transformation uh, of this team where nobody really thought that they could possibly do what they did and uh uh, you know, there there was a series against the Cubs where they got swept. There was the first game against Washington in that series, and then they had a rally to win the rest of that series and hope that Milwaukee melted down. And even when they got to the playoffs, I don't think people were believing until that big-inning explosion against the Cardinals, and that seemed to unlock something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it usually is not as simplistic as that, but it, it looks like it did because from that moment on, they played with incredible togetherness and confidence. Is it that simple
2: to point to that one inning? Well, I agree with you. That one inning certainly unlocks something, Mike, um, because I think that was a Friday afternoon 1 o'clock game in St. Louis, and and I'm, I'm literally sitting in that press box <laughs> writing a story that says, you know, the Phillies got back to the playoffs for the first time in 11 years today, and you know, lost. Lost game one. <laughs> and, then, and then their all-star closer comes in in front of a big electric crowd, and he's throwing 101 miles an hour, and he he can't throw a strike. <laughs> now all of a sudden they got some base runners, and, they you know, the Cardinals gave them that game, and it changed the entire complexion of that postseason. It changed the mood of the Phillies. It, it unlocked their confidence. It made them believe. It got them on a roll. It got the momentum going. I mean, I, I say the Cardinals gave them that game, but the Phillies also took it because they the guy wasn't throwing strikes and they had great at-bats. This, the Phillies are a team that is can be prone to chasing, chasing pitches off the plate, especially some of their right-handed batters against right-handed pitching, um, right-handed breaking stuff off the plate, and they had great at-bats. And all of a sudden they start drawing walks. There's a hit by pitch. Segura displays – unbelievable hand-eye coordination and hits a pitch into right field that's two feet off the plate. It was one of these kind of magic innings that the other team gave you, but you took. It built uh, confidence in that clubhouse. They got on a roll. They got a well-pitched game the next day. They got a big home run from Harper, and and they were on their way. So September was a struggle. I felt the pressure was really getting to them in September. They were aware of the expectations from day one, from Clearwater. Big talent, big playoff drought, big payroll. It hovered over this team the entire season, and I think it hovered over Joe the first two months, and it kind of became smothering. And then when they made the managerial change, it was like the air cleared a little bit, and some of the expectations changed, and everybody breathed, and – they played and they played well. They got back into it. September came and I felt like the tightness returned because they were so close yet so far. Um, they had a losing record in the month. I believe they had a losing record right until the end, I think. And you get swept in Wrigley field and the defense is awful when you don't hit. Um, Noah loses a game in the middle innings when they don't turn a double play. And you know, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's almost like you can feel like it's happening. And I remember writing like a lead that said, they're not going to blow this thing. Are they like, they were holding a playoff spot. And you're like, are they going to blow this? And then they go into Washington for this very unusual series. There's a hurricane coming. There's double headers. I mean, you're literally at the ballpark, like 13, 14 hours a day and they're playing these games and they, they figured out a way to get through that win three or four. Schwarber had a couple big hits. What an amazing clubhouse guy, Mike, um, Kyle Schwarber is. I mean, just a regular everyman. You know, his dad's a cop. He's a blue-collar kid. He was a high school football player. He loves people. He's a great leader. He's so inclusive. 26th man or the number one man. He relates to them all. They had a tough series in, in San Francisco right at the beginning of the month. So now we're going into September and they've had all these September collapses and the whole September narrative is there, right? And they had a really, they lost this ball buster of a game. And I walk in the clubhouse and he walks by me and he kind of mouths the words, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Tell everybody it's going to be okay. You know, (laughs) he's kind of like trying to manage the narrative, right? The kid is very smart And, and it turned out it was okay. It was a, Really tough month, but I think with his leadership, they really got through it. And when they had that celebration in Houston for clinching that night when Nola pitched that great game, the emotions I felt were like euphoria and triumph, and, and they won something, but also relief. Like this, this weight was off their back, and this burden was off their back, and they finally got to the postseason. And then that game in St. Louis, they don't hit the whole day, and I'm thinking, well, they got here, and they're out of gas. And then Ryan Helsley can't throw a strike. They took advantage of it. And not only were they not out of gas, it was like, you know, they took a match and lit the gas tank. And they exploded for a month and gave us all a great memory. They testament to the, you know, get in and get hot. I mean, a year ago, they are not even in in, in the playoffs. Because with the new CBA, they added the sixth playoff team. They were the sixth playoff team. They had 24 fewer wins than the top seed. <laughs> they were the sixth seed. The Dodgers had twenty-four more wins, but they did have talent. They got healthy. They got in. They got on a roll, and, and that's baseball, man. It is a crazy game. You get you get a night when you get some big hits, five home runs. You win a World Series game. You get another night where you get great pitching. You win the ball game, and you, you start bouncing one hundred win teams like the uh, like the Braves. Uh, just uh, and then you know you, you got a you got a spotlight player like Bryce Harper who was waited for this shot and nothing faces him, you know, he doesn't feel pressure. He's had pressure since he's been 11. I mean, you know, he used to go to travel ball tournaments and people would just rip on him because he was the best guy in the field since he's 11 years old. I mean, he can take it. He gets booed everywhere, and he just shined, hit that home run against San Diego, had a great postseason, and ultimately they came up two wins short, and it has – they only had three sellouts all year. Then they had eight in the postseason. People want more. People want more. And the important people that want more is the ownership group. So I think they're going to keep trying big.
0: Yeah, Jim, this has been a, a real pleasure. Uh, so uh, we really thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, I know you got some dogs. I was looking forward to hearing the dogs bark in the background and make this a real, real podcast. Wait, what happened? <laughs> you, got,
2: you You have two dogs? I have, we have, at any point in time, we have three dogs in this house. And three dogs at any point we, in time. We, we were trying to do this, uh, and we had, uh, the FedEx guy going by and their neighbors were out and they were just going nuts. So now I only have one here and she's 14 years old and deaf and blind. So she's not bothered.
0: Uh, so she's, she's, she's a little more quiet than the younger ones. Yeah. Uh, I get it. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you get some rest going on now at this point because, uh, you know, covering a baseball season, I always tell people that they don't understand the responsibility of somebody who covers a baseball season. It is a grueling and grinding, and the fact that you've done it for so long, and, and you're still like added at it at such a high level is pretty amazing feat.
2: It's uh covering baseball is a grind, um, like no other. But um, you know, all I need is eight hours, and I'm back, so I'm good.
0: <laughs> I will t- have, do some rest in the off season. Uh, hang out, and, uh, and we'll look forward to, to talking to you down the road. Appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for coming on.
2: My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.
1: It's the Mike Cassinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.
0: Again, thanks to Jim Salisbury. And uh, just to advise the folks who are listening to this podcast that Jim has his own podcast with Corey Simon It's called Philly's Talk, and it's on NBCSportsPhilly.com, so check that out. And let's tag the World Series with um, – The viewership of the World Series. Listen, we thought it was a great World Series. We watched every game. It was exciting. You had the five-home run game. You had the no-hitter. There were a lot of uh, momentous items in this World Series. However, uh, as it shakes out, it was one of the least-watched World Series uh, in um, uh, in World uh, Series-watching history. Uh, Just for an example, last year the Braves and the Astros averaged uh, 11.94 million viewers. That was the most since 2000. Uh, This was considerably less, one of the worst. Uh, And I, you know, listen, Philadelphia, Houston, there's still a hatred for Houston. Uh, The Phillies kind of came from nowhere. They were the wild card team. They weren't a glam team. Uh, So, so I, I can see uh, why it was the way it was. And and frankly, I don't care because in Philadelphia, we enjoyed watching it. That's all I care about. And the, the national people, if you weren't tuning in, you missed a hell of a show. Now, Interestingly enough, the best audience for the World Series was the Thursday night game, which was up against the Eagles and Texans game. So I'm sure that Prime Video was not delighted with that because nobody was watching that game. Apparently they were all watching the World Series. But here's the upshot of the whole thing. Because Fox still gets his money. Uh, Fox sold $178 million worth of commercial airtime. Now, the rights fees they paid through 2028 were $729 million. So all you got to do is uh, subtract. I mean, they're making money on ad revenue. Uh, the, the only thing the ratings do is that maybe they set you up for a lower price on the next contract. But you're still selling the uh, the ad revenue, and, and you're, you're making almost $200 million. And you're going to do that till uh, 2028. So you have about six more years. You're making $200 million a year. Uh, the profit is going to rise above the rights fees, not that I'm any, any financial wizard. Uh, so so there you go. And, and at this time, I would also like to say something about the Philadelphia Union. Now, I have not been a soccer guy. I have been uninterested in soccer. And that's that's my cross the bear because uh, soccer is a good game. It's a very athletic game. It is a European game and uh, all over the world, people play soccer growing up. Uh, And I always made the case to people that uh, soccer is is so popular in areas outside the United States because uh, there's no competition like we have in America. We have better sports that compete with soccer. People in Europe and Brazil, wherever, they grow up with soccer because they don't have baseball. They don't have basketball. They don't have football they have the ones they have a the sport that that's their natural natural sport soccer so um in comparison to the way i grew up with the other sports i've always looked at soccer as well, yeah, it's a, it's a good sport but it's not as good as the others that i've grown up with and played with all these years but i will say that the union final against uh, the la uh, club was a really uh interesting game and and very exciting and and very entertaining and uh, it's a shame that the union uh, couldn't bring that home they, they got a red card on a guy which meant they played with a, a man advantage and then they allowed that uh, uh christian bale the actor uh come in and headball one uh to tie after they had the lead late in the game and they wound up losing it on the shootout because a kid from Lasalle, for christ's sake makes a couple saves in a shootout it's not right you got chas mccormick scaling the wall here in philadelphia you got that dude making saves in la but anyway uh I got entertained by it, and I, I might give the Union a, a little more flavor uh, as they uh, continue playing uh, in, in this league. It was pretty exciting people. for the people that love the Union, and there are a lot of people that love the Union. Uh, I, I tip my cap to you guys. You had a great season, and that was uh, pretty heartbreaking. But now let's let's move on to uh, the team that has been uh, kind of like the uh, forgotten team, even though they're the best team maybe in the league, and that's your 8-0 Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, it's been a while since they played. I mean, from a Thursday night game to the next Monday is a big gap, and you kind of lose your football edge in thinking about the Eagles. But they're up against the lousy Washington Commanders uh, this week in a game that they, they are a double-digit favorite again in this game, um, and uh, they're not going to have any problems uh, with the Washington, Wiz- but so with so, Washington Wizards, Washington Commanders. So let's let's look at some things here. With the with the uh, with the Eagles, and uh, where they're flawed or where they're not flawed. First of all, uh, they gave up a lot of yards on the, uh, on the rush last week against Texas. They did it the week before against Steel- the Steelers. So there's a notion that if the Eagles have a crack; it's that they can't stop the run. However, I- I'm going to like give you the other side of that. Um, they're ahead in most of these games, right? And their, their defensive philosophy is not to give up the big play. So what they do is they give a lot of underneath stuff. And they also don't think that the run can hurt them because it's not going to be an explosive play. And that's not an excuse because they they need to button it up. I thought last week they were bored playing that Texans team. They didn't tackle well. And that's a sign of boredom where you're really not on the razor's edge to play a a, a good defensive uh, football game. So I I know it's a problem. I, I don't think it's a major problem considering what they have coming up. But what they have coming up are the Tennessee Titans coming in with, uh, of course, that guy's going to carry it 35 times a game. So um, can they beat the Eagles with him carrying it 35 times a game, Derrick Henry? I don't know. (laughs) know, Here's the thing that people forget. Yeah, you want to respect somebody's running attack, and that's a weakness. The Eagles do score, don't they? It doesn't matter if you grind out the clock, because the Eagles can score when they need to score. Every time they need a scoring drive, they just come down the field and score. So if you're going to grind at the clock and think you can beat them by running the football, you're not going to score enough points to win that game. So I, I don't have a problem even with Derrick Henry coming in. Now let's look at the Commanders. Uh, they've been running it the last uh, uh, three games. They, they are running it 49.48% of the time. That's the sixth highest rate in the NFL over that span in the last uh, three games. Now the, the Texas got Damian Pierce averaging uh, a 5.3 uh, last week against the Eagles. And uh, the Eagles are giving up 5.2 overall uh, on the rush. Um, but uh, the Washington defense, and they're not bad either. 15th in opponent yards per play. Um, Third uh, um, in stopping third downs percentage, the third best third down percentage in the league. They have the seventh best percentage in the red zone. Okay, so that indicates that they're they're a pretty decent defensive team. Um, But here's the thing about the the, the, they don't stop wide receivers. So the ninety nine point nine rating allowed to wide receivers. The Eagles already have a killer pair that's unable to be stopped with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and you throw Goddard in there, who's been playing out of his mind, uh, I would think that Washington is going to be very susceptible to the pass, especially with the wide receivers. However, Washington does put some pressure on the quarterback. Their pass rush rate pressure is second in the league. They've got 23 sacks, 33.7% of pressure, which is pretty good. So Hertz got sacked a little bit too much for my taste over the last couple games. We'll see if he runs a little more. He hasn't run that much over the last two games. Um, But in the end, if you're going to tell me that Taylor Heineke is going to be able to score enough points to beat the Eagles, uh, I'm not buying it. Uh, The Eagles, D, despite my partner on the Jacob Media postgame show saying that they need more pressure, they've gotten 26 sacks with a four-man front. Uh, And a 28.4 pressure rate. Plus, uh, uh, Slay is back there on McLaren this weekend. And uh, Bradbury, uh, who has been targeted a lot, has been pretty good. He has survived pretty pretty well. Uh, No Jordan Davis for the Eagles, which means they're a little more susceptible to the run. They've been using five-man fronts a lot with the help of Jordan Davis. Uh, But Hargrave has been pretty good, too. So I assume that they'll do the same thing. And, uh, on the run defense, they, they have had, uh, six or fewer defenders in the box, 59.4% of the time, which is fourth in the NFL. They don't put a lot of people in the box. They almost invite you to run against them. And now they're still eight now. So like I'm sitting here going, okay, they give up the run and what's it mean? It means absolutely nothing. Um, hurts. He's on an MVP rate. I mean, uh, let's face it, uh, He's been decisive. He's been accurate. The key stat for me with Jalen Hurts is that he is almost a second less in his uh, delivery time than he was last year. So he's getting rid of the ball quickly. He's been decisive. He's been accurate. And uh, it helps when you have A.J. Brown open almost every play. It helps when you have A.J. Brown running a slant that's unstoppable. It helps when Goddard beats a linebacker and gets open. But the quarterback has really been very decisive. Darren, your thoughts on that?
3: I agree with you on Hurts. Uh, he's made steps this year where he's, uh, his downfield throws are ext- extremely accurate. And that's, that was something I think a lot of people needed to see, myself included, uh, coming into this year. You said something earlier that I can't get out of my head now, uh, but it was in a different way. You said they, a little bit of bored. They're bo- they were bored with the Texans the other night. I- I'm bored. With the yep. Eagles, and I don't know if that's—and you know what—a <laughs> rabid Eagle fan or football guy I've been my whole life. I, I, part of that is maybe the Phillies, but I watch this Eagles team, and they have no problem with any of these teams they're playing. They're—it's—it's—they're it's, it's, they're almost boring to watch. Like I'm almost like, wake me up uh, in, in the divisional round of the playoffs at this point because there's nobody on the schedule that I think really is a threat. And don't give me Dallas either. I, the, only, the only reason Dallas might be a small threat is because they're a divisional opponent and they know him well. They're, Dallas is not that good. Their defense is good. The Eagles defense is just as good as Dallas's this year. And and Dallas's offense has, you know, he's got nobody to throw to it except for CeeDee Lamb. And no running game. I mean, Pollard's a better running back than, Ezekiel, than uh, Zeke this year. And he was last year as well. I just, there's no threat to this team right now, barring injury. They're they're just going to steamroll a lot of these teams. And Washington's got a really good defensive line. Uh, Bob Groats had a great article in the Delco Times this morning comparing them to the Reggie White defensive line, Eagles. Uh, that's how good they are. And Chase Daniels barely played because he's always hurt. But, the, you know, but you got, they got Montez Sweat on the other side of that line. They got some good defensive tackles. But I'm still like, I don't even – I'm not going to lose a wink of sleep this weekend – worried about the Eagles I, even for the foreseeable future. We talked about this before. Tennessee's the only team where I think mm, maybe they beat them because at that point in the year, you know, that's like 3 4 weeks from now, at that point they're 11 12 and 0. You know, they're like do we even need this game? Do you get up for that game against a team that's very physical, plays physical defense, plays uh, you know, runs the ball extremely well. That is the one team that could give him a blip. But, you know, there's nobody on this roster. I'm going to even get excited to to see them play. Uh, You know, Christmas Eve will be fun uh, against Dallas in Dallas. You know, everybody will be with family. That's going to be a fun night. But they're just, okay. They're just, oh, who are the Eagles? Who's. Whose ass are the Eagles going to kick? You know this Sunday. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: here's whose the ass they're going to kick. They're going uh, it, to. It's Washington Colts right. and uh, Tennessee. Kick, kick, kick. which makes them, which makes them eleven and zero. Uh, and this is a fascinating season. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I see the Eagles winning this game 27-13 piece, if not more, like 31-13 something like that, and, and they'll roll again against a, a bad commander's team or certainly a a scatterbrained a, a commander's team with, with Taylor Heineke. And he's going to make some plays. I mean, he's one of those guys that will get out of the pocket, he'll make a play downfield. and But they're not going to be able to score enough points, I don't think, to, to win the game against the Eagles. So so there's your Eagles preview, another one of those bops, a uh, Monday night bop game for the Eagles, and uh, they go to uh, 9-0. All right, let's go with our picks of the week here since we're talking football. I'm 19-16 and 16 on the year. It's a 2-1 and one week last week. I hit with TCU. I hit with the Chargers. Oklahoma lost. So uh, let's go to uh, two pro and one college. The college card is tough this week. But I am going to ride with my school, my squad. The Penn State Nittany Lions coming off a romp last week. Uh, go in as a uh, double-digit favorite against Maryland, whose ass they kick uh, on a regular basis. Maryland has had some moments, but not enough. Penn State, ten and a half point favorite against Maryland. I like the nits to cover the ten and a half. All right, and I never go with the nits. Usually, I go the other way. Usually, lines scare me. Solid. Ten and a half point favorite over Maryland. I think they will cover.
3: Penn State showed me something with that uh, blowout last week. I know it's Indiana, but still, like after that Ohio State game, uh, that you and I were at great seats and and we had a lot of fun that day. But you know that was a two point game with six minutes left, and then just,
0: yeah, and, and the better team crushed them in the end. But right. Penn State's the better team over these two teams. Certainly Indiana and Maryland's better than Indiana, but uh, you know that line has a healthy ten and a half. I'll take it. Uh, all right, let's move on to the pros.
3: I agree, but I just was impressed that they got up to roll in as well as they did after, you know, that game against Ohio State the week uh, previously. So that showed me all something.
0: All right, uh, professional football. Uh, there's one game that's screaming at me, and I don't know if it's fool's gold or not, uh, and it's the Giants. Now, the Giants t- took a back seat last week. They're a step backwards, and uh, they're home now uh, against uh, a bad – Texans team. Uh, and there are only a four and a half point favor in that game. I mean, this is, too, it's too, when it's too easy, I always go the other way. That's That line is not nearly high enough. The odds maker is telling me the Texans have a chance to keep this one close. I don't know if they can win it. I'll take the four-and-a-half with the lousy Texans.
3: I, 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 the Giants are one of those teams where coaching is only going to get you so far when you don't have a whole lot of talent. And you're right. that That's a Houston line. I I, I like that play. Um, what were they, seven and or six-and-one going into last week, the Giants? And then they go backwards. And it's not the undefeated mm-hmm. bubble burst where you go against them the following week, but it's close enough. It's almost the same thing where... They're 6-1. They're really feeling great about themselves. Boom, they lose. You go against that team uh, the following week with the number.
0: All right. Uh, let me get this, – this team befuddles me, and, it, and they always sting me. Uh, the Raiders. Uh, I took them against the, the, the Saints. The Saints shut them out. Uh, but they rebounded last week, and now they're a six-and-a-half-point favorite against the Colts who are just a freaking mess. If the Raiders can't beat the Colts by a touchdown, then I, I quit. I'll take the Raiders, giving six to the lousy Colts. That first, we haven't
3: talked about this, but that is the most bizarre story. First of all, anything with that owner, Jim Ursay, that Colts owner, who's just he's he, he's a uh, <laughs> six o'clock news away every every di- every morning he wakes up. <laughs> that guy, whether he's getting pulled over with a bucket of pills in his car, or you know. But that was the strangest story for people who haven't heard it. How did you not? They fired Frank Reich, and he hires Jeff Saturday, who, who's an ESPN analyst, has never coached a day in his life to be interim head coach.
0: Yeah, now listen, they they may get change head coaches, They but, might get a little buzz out of that. There's a, When you change drastically like that, you get a little buzz, and and the players have not, nothing to lose, and they go out there, and they get the rah-rah from Saturday, and they play well. But I... I can't see where they would do that. Their quarterback situation is dreadful right now. Uh, so I'm thinking the Raiders smell some some uh some uh, raw meat uh, and they go after it a little bit and don't make don't make me regret it. Derek Carr, don't make me regret this cuz the Raiders have been kicking my ass all year. Don't dare not cover in this game. I'll wipe you off the map forever. All right, those those are my picks of the week. Let's move on to two last things here. Deep thought of the day and parting shot. Now, here's my deep thought of the day. I thought long and hard about this because I always go for the deepest of deep thoughts. In fact, there are people out there going to say, well, this is a really shallow thought. Yeah, it is. It's a very shallow thought, but it, to me, it's deep. And I think you'll agree with me. My deep thought of the day is that two of America's biggest problems uh, number one is getting into a Philadelphia stadium with a car. I think we can all agree. That that's one of the, one of the area's biggest problems. You can't get into a freaking stadium in this city. It doesn't matter what sport it is. It could be the Phillies, the World Series. It could be the Sixers every night. It could be the Eagles, and uh, I don't know the Flyers. You can get right in, but it, but it's it, it's a it's a problem, and I don't understand how it can't be fixed. I go to other stadiums, and yeah, it's tough to get in other stadiums, but it seems to be so well ultra organized. To get in and out of a stadium at other places. You know, we just went to the Penn State game. 110,000 people. Organized. Zing in and out. Boom. And, And apparently, this is a problem in Philadelphia that nobody cares about. And I love the police. Don't get me wrong. I love Philadelphia police. They couldn't give a flying F about that situation (laughs) they're they're out there you know they're standing there but but really nobody's doing anything to escort cars in a uh, orderly way to get in and out of a stadium all right that's that's number one my deep thought my my two deep thought at two of america's biggest problems is getting out of an airplane now uh, you know this is it's it's 2022 right now right You mean to tell me that we haven't made any progress getting out of a freaking airplane? Like there can't be like two exits to get people from the back out and one in the front. You can't do that. But the jet port is is not capable. You can't have two jet ports out there. Maybe I don't understand the logistics. But if you're on row 24, you're in there for 45 freaking minutes before people get their overheads out of there and get out of there. It's maddening.
3: We talked about that going into the 108, I think there was 108,279 people at that Penn State, Ohio State game a few weeks ago. We drove, we parked on campus. We parked two blocks from the stadium and it was seamless in and out. It takes four times that to get out of the link on a Sunday. It is maddening. Absolutely maddening. I used to go to every game. We're 22 straight years. I went to every exhibition, regular season, and postseason game. I hate going down there now. I I go to a couple games a year, and that's part of the reason why.
0: Uh, All right. So those are my deep thoughts today. I hope you were amused by them. not big problems. It is the Mike Messinelli Podcast. It's available on all podcast networks. Uh, All you got to do is go to Apple iTunes, or you go to Spotify, or you go to Amazon, or you go to Google – Whoever has podcasts has my podcast on it. It's getting great reviews. A lot of people are joining in and listening to the podcast, and we appreciate that. And we're going to be here uh, at least twice a week uh, talking about life, talking about sports, talking about modern culture. Uh, We haven't even broken the seal yet on this podcast. I mean, we're going to talk movies. We haven't done that yet. We've been preoccupied by this damn sports. The World Series hijacked us.
3: We went all we Phillies all the time for the past
0: couple of weeks. Exactly. All right, so everybody have a great rest of the day. Thanks to the people for the Bet Rivers and download that Bet Rivers app for bringing us the podcast. We're up at episode 22 already, and we just started this in September. 22 podcasts in just uh, almost not even three months. Uh, we're turning it out. We're cranking it out for you. We hope you like it. We hope you continue to listen and we hope you spread the word to all your friends and family. Have a great rest of the day. It's beautiful out. Take advantage of it. It's Mike Miss. I'm out.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mike Ellie Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.